Shamanic Mirroring and the Wizard of Oz The people in our lives mirror our different aspects and subpersonalities, providing us with reflections of our inner world, and the outer world is a reflection of the inner, much of which is shadow, good and bad. Some of the reflections can be beautiful, but many are undesirable and denied. If you envision a center of the universe that maps the interplay of energetic interactions that start in the middle and work their way out. At the center of the universe, we find the innermost self, which is composed of mind, body, and emotions. Everyone knows what it's like to have conflict between these three forces. Typically, one of them leads while the other two are relegated to shadow until a strong stimulus causes them to pop out sometimes when least expected. Often, when confronted with something, we react in the following order. First, with our intellect, mind, because that's what we've grown to depend upon. Then we might act by doing something, body. Then we may feel good or bad about what we've done, emotion. A woman might react with her feelings first, emotion. Then think about how she reacted, mind, then do something, body. Anyone, male or female, can act in any combination of ways, but more often than not, they lead with their strongest, most habitual response at the expense of the other two. What would it be like if someone reacted with all three simultaneously in a balanced way? This is one of the goals of integrating the shadow in the process of individuation, and subsequently, one of the rewards of personal power a shaman gets from getting dismembered or swallowed by the jaguar. These three primary inner energies have been characterized throughout myth and history in many ways. The thinking mind is referred to as knowledge and wisdom. The moving body is referred to as energy and power, while the feeling of emotion is referred to as love. On one end of the spectrum, the modern divide-and-conquer scientific mindset has given mind the most attention. Energetically, it is the most stable. On the other hand, emotion is the quickest, most mercurial, and hardest to control. The body usually serves the other two, though it holds deep wisdom of its own that's often ignored. The Inca view of reality is a shamanic one that has three worlds. The upper world, represented by the condor, which has a rose color and is thought of as love emotion. The middle world is represented by the jaguar or puma and has an electric blue color signifying power, the body. The lower world is represented by the serpent which has a gold color signifying wisdom. When the three are combined in harmony and unity, they are believed to create a beautiful electric violet hue. It's interesting to note the ways these three energies have been depicted in stories particularly when we take into account how secondary characters mirror the inner life of the protagonist. One of the most striking examples of this is in The Wizard of Oz, where we have Dorothy on her hero's quest to find her way home. Her three primary allies are the Tin Man, who wants a heart, love, or emotion, the Cowardly Lion, who wants courage, power, or the body, and the Scarecrow, who wants a brain, wisdom, or the mind. Shamans navigate multiple realities because they realize that their power lies in how they filter, see, and react to the realms that they come in contact with by manipulating their perception with the knowledge 
that all they encounter comes to them through their own subjective experience. In shamanism, everything is connected to everything else. Plants, animals, man, and elemental spirits all interact and affect each other in visible and invisible ways. Shamans, more than anyone else, know that even though the center of the universe is right between their eyes, their real home is where the heart is. The Heart of the Matter The Temple of Anthropocosmic Man at Luxor is a masterpiece of art, science, and spirituality, laid out in an elegant structure that is architecturally rendered to exhibit within its design and artwork the same proportions as the proportions of man as well as the mathematical and geometrical structure of the cosmos and its locale within human consciousness. Pharaonic consciousness not only recognized man as the center of the universe, it could formally equate it as well. Gurdjieff had a similar interpretation. There's no need to study or investigate the sun in order to discover the matter of the solar world. This matter exists in ourselves and is the result of the division of our atoms. In the same way we have in us the matter of all other worlds, man is, in the full sense of the term, a miniature universe. In him are all the matters of which the universe consists. The same forces, the same laws that govern the life of the universe, operate in him. Therefore, in studying man, we can study the whole world, just as in studying the world, we can study man. Gurdjieff's teachings follow the same model as the Temple of Man, although his diagram is a little different and appears a little more expansive in that he included all worlds and the moon in what he called the ray of creation, which he characterized as an octave that repeats at many levels and sublevels, but the principle remains the same. Gurdjieff's ray of creation, absolute, one, do, all worlds, three, ray, all suns, six, me, sun, twelve, fa, all planets, twenty-four, so, earth, forty-eight, la, moon, ninety-six, t. In Gurdjieff's model, the whole, one, or all, he called the absolute because including everything within itself, it's not dependent upon anything, and is the world for all worlds where all forms one single whole, infinite and indivisible, as the primordial state of things out of which, by division and differentiation, arises the diversity of the phenomena observed by us. In the absolute, vibrations are the most rapid and matter is the least dense, and in the descending ray of creation, the dampening vibrations are slower and matter denser. Lower down on the ray matter is still more dense and vibrations correspondingly slower. Gurdjieff stated that matter possessing characteristics of materiality comprehensible to us is divided into several states according to its density, solid, liquid, and gaseous. Further gradations of matter are radiant energy like electricity, light, magnetism, and so on. He referred to this octave as the table of hydrogen that served to determine the density of matter and the speed of vibrations, as well as the degree of intelligence and consciousness, because the degree of consciousness corresponded to the degree of density or the speed of vibrations. 
This means that the denser the matter, the less conscious and the less intelligent, and the denser the vibrations, the more conscious and the more intelligent. The chain of worlds, the length of which are the absolute, forms the ray of creation, which for us is the world in the widest sense of the term. The absolute gives birth to a number, perhaps to an infinite number, of different worlds, each of which begins a new and separate ray of creation. The number of forces in each world, 1, 3, 6, 12, and so on, indicate the number of laws to which the given world is subject. The fewer laws that are in a given world, the nearer it is to the will of the absolute, and the more laws there are in a given world, the further it is from the will of the absolute. Gurdjieff taught that we live in a world subject to 48 orders of laws, that is to say, very far from the will of the absolute and in a very remote and dark corner of the universe. The ray of creation from world 1 down to world 96 indicate the number of forces, or orders of laws that govern the worlds in question. In the absolute, there is only one force and only one law, the single and independent will of the absolute. In the next world, there are three forces and three orders of laws. In the next, six orders of laws, in the following one, twelve, etc. According to Gurdjieff, the earth has 48 orders of laws that we are subject to. If we lived on the moon, we would be subject to 96 orders of laws and would not have the possibilities of escape that we now have. Following this octave model of increasing densities of matter and creation, as well as intelligence, Gurdjieff defined the end of the ray, saying, The souls that go to the moon, possessing perhaps even a certain amount of consciousness and memory, find themselves there under 96 laws, in the conditions of mineral life, or, to put it differently, in conditions from which there is no escape apart from a general evolution in immeasurably long planetary cycles. The moon is at the extremity, at the end of the world. It is the outer darkness of the Christian doctrine where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This ancient depiction of a holographic worldview in which the microcosm is in the macrocosm so clearly demonstrated in the Temple of Anthropocosmic Man and in Gurdjieff's diagram is a shamanic belief that infuses the shaman's transformation and, subsequently, the ancient archetype of the hero's journey. The design and layout of the temple and its mathematical meaning provide the framework for our inner and outer universe. In this model, the heart, which can be considered the giver of life, is located at the center of man. It gives life to and supports all the other organs surrounding it in the same way that the sun, at the center of our solar system, gives life to and supports all of the planets surrounding it. Each planet that orbits this solar furnace, which is the crucible of the heart, has historically been attributed with its own personality. Mars has been called the god of war, Venus the goddess of beauty and love, and the others each with their own unique attributes, or, to put it in another way, their own unique energies. Centuries before it became a pop culture fad, astrology was a highly respected science, which was an integral part of astronomy.
In addition to the earth and the seasonal signs of the zodiac, astrology deals with ten planets, namely the sun, the moon, the two luminaries are considered planets in astrology, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Each planet has its precise function in the natal chart and represents a specific energy. The planet's action is influenced by the sign it tenants and plays out primarily in the area of life indicated by the house where it is posited. In shamanism, the heart in man is the sun of his personal cosmos, which is connected to the sun, which is the giver of life in our solar system, especially on planet Earth. This sun, in turn, is connected to a bigger sun, which is connected to a bigger sun, infinitely, essentially following Gurdjieff's ray of creation all the way back to source. Hafez, a 14th century poet, best known for expressing the ecstasy of divine inspiration in the mystical form of love poems, penned a wonderful verse that captures the essence of this belief. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. An old adage in shamanism made popular by Carlos Castaneda, attributed to Don Juan, the Yaqui shaman, is that a warrior must follow a path with heart. In other words, follow your heart. If it takes you back to source, then you've found your way home. In the same way that the sun at the center of our solar system is influenced by and influences the planets in its orbit, so do the organs and their energies in the human body interact with its heart. We are all at the heart of the universe that we are creating. Like the planets, all of the people in our lives are energetic influences that represent different aspects of us that manifest different sides of our personalities. Our supporting allies mirror and support the good, including positive aspects of our shadow and the antagonistic ones reflect our darker side.